up, everybody? This is Tim Evko. And this is M. David Green. And you're listening to episode number 30 of the Versioning Podcast. This is a place where we get together to discuss the industry of the web from development to design with some of the people making it happen today and planning where it's headed in the next version. So today we're talking with Laura Shank, who works with WordPress. She is a web developer. She is also a teacher and a pretty good cocktail maker. So we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different things today. So let's go ahead and get started. Laura, we're really glad to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me. I'm definitely going to want to find out more about those cocktails. But first, <laughs> since this is the versioning show, we want to ask you a philosophical question. And your philosophical question for the day is, in your current career, what version are you and why? Oh, uh, I would say 3.0. <laughs> How did you get to that? So 3.0, because I think I started out Kind of after college, I worked with a startup for about a year or so and was doing freelance projects. And then after that, startup caved, moved into doing freelance work. So a lot of WordPress, WordPress websites, kind of custom WordPress sites for small, medium-sized businesses. And that like organically, maybe around like version 2.8, organically moved into a lot of teaching. And then recently I kind of stopped, had a little bit of burnout and took a five-month break-ish. And so now I'm just starting 3.0. <laughs> Well, welcome to 3.0. I'm curious, you said you took a break. And at this point in your career, it's an interesting choice to make. Yeah, it is. Because I was I was living in New York for about three years and was doing really well, had like a ton of work. I was always, you know, would get referrals from emails or whatever. And I say, oh, my next availability is like March of next year. It was always that <laughs> kind of thing. And it just got to be a lot. So kind of New York takes it to its toll. So I decided to try out the ski bum lifestyle in Utah, <laughs> of all places. That's a good way to take a break. That completely removes you from the work you were doing, I guess. Oh, totally. Well, so I went back to Pittsburgh for a few months, which is where I'm from. I had a great time. Ended up getting into a like pretty cool relationship, which was really fun. And then I was like, just, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, like partying a lot there. And then I was like, oh, crap, I'm going to Utah. And then I was able to kind of like ramp business down pretty easily. And I bartended at a ski lodge in Alta, Utah, which is a pretty awesome ski mountain up there. It was fun for a while, and then I was kind of like, I need to use my brain again. And I like, I like building websites. <laughs> Until I moved to L.A. I know how that is. So tell us a little bit about the career that you're stepping away from. What led you to that burnout? How did you get there? Sure. So I worked with individual clients a lot, so it was all very project-based. I never did any... Uh, full-time contract work. So I would kind of get a referral from something from either I spoke at a lot of meetups and did things like that. So a lot of referrals came, you know, kind of through people that saw me there or whatever. And I had a few great clients and would do these kind of like four month-ish projects for websites. And then it was a little bit like one and done. And as I was transitioning into doing more teaching too, I did a lot of tutoring and it was became a lot of like the business operations part and scheduling and working around that and it just became exhausting like emails i have a little ptsd about that <laughs> so my goal is to like intentionally respond to emails slowly now because i think in my head like you set these expectations for yourself like oh i gotta respond in three hours whatever or, like be checking my email constantly and that's something you have to consciously not do and i think i've just wanted to like be able to get out of the city more often I, like i love new york and i definitely miss it now that i've been gone for a while but I think I just needed a little step away to get excited about things again, too. So 
I'm curious because I have experienced burnout before. I'm sure a lot of us have, but I, I think there's a little bit of fear, at least for myself, when I think about just stepping back and, and taking an extended leave that I, I feel like, oh, oh no, I'm going to lose all of my skills and spend all of my money and end up as a failed web developer. I'm, I'm curious if you had any concerns like that and, and how you got over them. I definitely did. I was thinking like, oh man, I hope WordPress isn't obsolete when I come back <laughs> or like HTML might be really different, but it turns out HTML is not that different. <laughs> Although like, I don't know what the hell is going on with the JavaScript world. <laughs> not that I did too much before, but so I did fear that a little bit, like becoming out of date because a big part of teaching is being able to answer these questions with like buzzwords, new concepts, things like that. And you really need to stay up to date. So I just kind of been, as I'm like slowly getting back into working and looking for work, I've been just like reading a whole bunch of news too. So seeing what like the new conversations are. And then I guess coming back into it and I haven't had any like development projects yet. So that'll be cool to kind of dive back into that. And I think organically we'll figure out the best way to do things, even if there are news, because you always come into run into problems or something's not working. So you end up Googling it and you'll look at the dates of the blog posts and notice what's changed. So I think that's not really something to worry about. Uh, definitely other fears like finding the work. So I'm kind of starting from scratch there a little bit. I still have some good contacts from being in New York, but I'm in LA now, which is like super different and so spread out. It's weird but figuring that out. So yeah, we'll see. I've started, started meeting some people here. I'm talking at the WordPress meetup next week. So that's definitely a good way to build up the network in a new city. What made you choose moving from the East Coast to the West Coast? Well, I have a couple of really good friends out here. And this like, relationship I mentioned, my girlfriend is living in L.A. now, too. So she moved out here. And yeah, so kind of the people. And I wanted a big city again, maybe some sunshine because I got my fill of winter. And this is kind of a cool prospect to like, I get a lot of questions about how I get work and operate as a freelancer. And so it's a cool prospect to be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And I think my philosophy is like, you do a lot of stuff for free at first to like get your name out there, be a genuine person and the referrals come in. Like it might take a few months, but that's something that kind of happens organically. I think a lot of listeners would say you're pretty much living the dream because you've created a career for yourself in which you can freelance, you can take six months off to be a bartender and bum around, then just dive right back in and pick up where you left off. Pretty much, yeah. I will say it sounds like a dream, but you can't separate work and life in the same way you can when you have a job and you can leave. So one important thing about freelancing is not working in your bed or in your PJs is like getting out of the house, going to a co-working space. The other thing is just like, I guess like emails and constantly being out looking for contacts. So I think maybe there's more pressure for like the networking part that kind of seeps into your everyday. So if I go to a bar, even when I'm talking to someone, I'm like, oh, I wonder if they need a website or if they know somebody like who wants to learn WordPress, that kind of thing. So it's just a little more pervasive in your day-to-day -day life, I think. And important thing to mention in terms of like taking a bunch of time off, you have to have the right project that allows you to do that. So before I left New York, I was doing like a part-time contract with a startup there doing front-end for them. So just kind of like revamping all of their, uh, they had a bunch of Rails, Rails app. So I was doing a whole front end for that and making like a little style guide for them and that paid really well and so I was able to do that for a few months they ended up not needing me anymore and then I could take the time off so you have to have that one project that gives you like a huge cushion and that is again one of the advantages of working in this in this field that we're in and that we have the opportunity to take on projects that can be a single project for a short period of time that can really cover the bills for a while 
Yeah, totally. And then, of course, you, like, I can't emphasize enough, if you do, if anybody's interested in going out on their own, like, having that cushion, and this is a totally unsolicited plug, but I use Simple Bank, which is, like, so fun for little savings goals, and you can kind of, and anything you use, like, if you try to just put away money a little bit and you have that, you know, four months of living expenses, that needs to, like, stay there, because you don't know if a project's going to drag on and on and on, and then you're not going to be paid for it anymore, so... Did you start your career as a freelancer or did you work yourself up to freelancing along the way? I've always freelanced pretty much. Like I had this startup job out of college for a year that was a full-time thing. Technically it was contracting, but I was continuing to do freelance projects then. But I've been doing it full-time for probably like seven or eight years. And I really figured out this WordPress niche. Like a lot of people, especially in the non-WordPress development community, scoff at it. And their association with WordPress is like hacking themes and it's not enjoyable work, but it can be great. So I always find that scoffing a little bit ridiculous. I, I personally just completed a small kind of WordPress implementing a theme for a company and redoing the website and all in WordPress. But man, if that isn't tough work. There's really a lot of knowledge that you need to have. Uh, that is for sure the realest type of web development that you can do. But that being said, I have another question around productivity. So you step back after getting a little bit burnt out with a crazy schedule. I'm wondering if your approach towards and ideas about productivity have changed after you've had this kind of like hiatus or sabbatical in between the time that you are doing a lot of work and then you kind of stepped off a little bit. Like, are your ideas about productivity different after that whole transition that you went through? That's a good question. And I've like thought about that for sure. Because right now I don't, any like productive things I do are totally self-driven. Everything's self-driven, but I'm not like working with a client right now. So it's all like, okay, I should write blog posts. I should write an email blast, that kind of thing. And I've been able to like recently to kind of set small deadlines for myself. But there was a author of the pastry box, which no longer exists. I don't know if you guys know that. I remember that. What, what, which one was Pastry Box? Pastry Box Project. It was a uh, website with kind of just like general thoughts from people in the web industry, some semi-technical things, but a lot of it was along the lines of productivity or like just industry issues in like a more social or general sense. And he started a blog now about productivity and had asked me to write an article for it. And I was like, I can't, I have no idea. <laughs> But I think I scoff a lot at articles that are like, you should, you know, work 10 minutes, break three minutes, whatever they are, like stand up, walk around. It's like everybody has their own thing. My probably biggest strategy is procrastinating, as weird as that sounds. It's kind of like the longer you have to do it, the longer it will take. So if you shrink that down to the time you actually need to complete something, then it's more efficient that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. A, a very interesting strategy indeed. I might try it, but I'll probably get it wrong and just end up <laughs> not doing a whole bunch of things. Yeah. So I'm figuring out, I mean, like in terms of new perspectives, I think I got to like get things more underway now that I'm back and see. Is there anything else that you've formed a uh, completely new perspective on since you've taken this amazing sounding break that I am I have been considering lately? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think think not sweating like small things so like i mentioned emails before were a big stressor for me because it'll take me mm -hmm. 20 minutes to write a two sentence response to something sometimes i mean that's maybe an exaggeration but i think realizing that stuff you might stress out about other people are not stressed out about your response to so i'm like oh my gosh i have to just like write a little note about meeting up with someone and i 
thinking about the wording a whole bunch. It's like, yeah, that's kind of important, but at the same time, like, that's a small part of another person's life. So maybe don't sweat the small stuff, I guess. Also an excellent tip for public speaking. Oh, for sure. Speaking of public speaking, you uh, also mentioned that you did some teaching as well. And not everybody who does the development side of things is also comfortable getting in front of a group of people and teaching. Could you tell us a little bit about that side of your career? Yeah, I love teaching and particularly like beginners to intermediate. So people that are just starting from, you know, no knowledge of what a website is or is made of all the way to people that are getting into Gulp and SAS for the first time or digging into WordPress development further and trying to customize sites, that kind of thing. But I think the one of my favorite parts about teaching is using metaphors to describe things because a lot of times the things you read online or here in videos, what have you, any materials are so full of jargon and a lot of times people just don't understand these fundamental concepts. So something like how a client server relationship works like abstract that into a restaurant or i'll use a metaphor of like a human body for front-end technology so it's like html is the fact that your arm exists and css <laughs> is like the color of your fingernails and then javascript's like you poke me and i make a sound so stuff like that and kind of breaking it into digestible chunks of a lot of fun with that and a whole nice little inventory of metaphors that's my new favorite analogy yeah. i'm gonna I'm definitely gonna use that now thank you the other one I do is uh, for media queries. I talk about starting with a baby, a baby, which is like, you know, size zero, and then doing progressively enhancing it, I guess. So you move up and like at age 10, the baby now has like a little dress on or like long hair. And then age 21, they have like a nose piercing. <laughs> They're holding a beer. That sounds absolutely delightful. Yeah, so I like doing little whiteboarding stuff. I love teaching in person. It's not always easy to find places to do that, especially like now in a new city. I used to teach at Pratt in New York, which is a design school, and that was really fun because it was talking to a lot of designers and like visually minded people, which is my background. But to, yeah, whiteboarding and like the physicality of it when you really get into what you're talking about, I think people appreciate a lot. I was going to ask about that. What background do you bring to the work that you're doing? I know that in order to teach at a design school, you, you need some sort of credentials or some sort of a master's or something. I'm curious, what background are you bringing to what you're doing? Well, I have a degree in fine arts and I did printmaking for a long time and then got into doing some web stuff my senior year. And one of my teachers was actually like, you should learn how to make WordPress websites and then you can freelance and kind of call your own shots. And I was like, okay, I'll try. And then I you really took that and ran. figured it out. I took it very literally. So that's how I got started there. But yeah, I have a, a design, like art, fine arts background. And I did some design and branding work and like logos, but I'm not interested in doing that anymore. So I think it's encouraging to hear about more people who are getting into this field without degrees in engineering, for example. And I know that a lot of the people we interviewed don't have that engineering background. I'm curious how you trained yourself, what resources you used to figure out what you needed to know in order to do what you're doing. I think having a project is the most important part. And Google, like, I mean, Google, right? I'm, being, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. I never really did tutorials too much. I never had like the attention span for it really. So it's always like learning what you need to know for a specific task. So the one, the one of the projects this teacher gave me in the end of college was to remake this WordPress theme. And so that was like a super specific goal. And he did give me some like guidance along the way. So I was like, you should figure out how to do this now. And gave me like some Google terms. So words to look up, tasks to accomplish. So I think a project with like general guidance is important. 
Obviously, there's a lot of emphasis on learning to code now through various venues, code schools, online schools, things like that. And a lot of it is like stuffing your brain with words and things people are not understanding in that amount of time. Like, it's impossible to become a, you know, super qualified software engineer in three months. I think things like boot camps, a lot of opinions about this, things like boot camps can be great for a jumping off point and really give people a good inventory of terms and concepts within the industry, but it's not like the be all end all. You have to have like real project experience. A lot of them are doing good things, but still a little bit of a iterative process. A lot of the boot camps focus on getting people very quickly from graduating from the boot camp into an actual company where they can start applying the things that they're learning. And I think that's really where the learning happens is mm-hmm. when you take the things that you've learned in those boot camps and you start using them in real projects with real colleagues. Yeah, totally. What's, what I think is ironic, though, about these boot camps, I've met a lot of people, and maybe this has changed in the months I've been off, but a lot of people I met in New York ended up, like, they graduate from the General Assembly, whatever, web development boot camp, and they end up working with WordPress because there's so much work in WordPress and there's such a low barrier to entry. So you get, you need a portfolio and your, you know, mom's cousin pays you 500 bucks to make their WordPress website. Like, that's valid work experience and it's going to be really frustrating and difficult and you're going to learn a lot from it. I think it'd be cool if there was more emphasis on getting work experience through freelancing because a lot of times tech companies aren't going to hire people straight out of boot camp because there's a big learning curve and like it may put pressure on like other staff or other employees to train someone into that role. You raise a very valid point. And in fact, I'm curious whether you've thought about doing some training around how to freelance effectively, which is something I think a lot of people need to know about. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely thought, I mean, oh, it's hard. I tried to, not tried, I mean, I did, and it wasn't bad, but I tried, I built this kind of online course called the Tackle Box that is not necessarily about freelancing, but it's like teaching web development from the ground up. And I've definitely thought about doing something along the lines of freelancing with WordPress. And it would be cool to have a, you know, boot camp around that, or maybe some kind of part-time thing at least. This guy, Paul Jarvis, his name is, has a really good core, online course called The Creative Class that's all about freelancing. That's a good way to, to get started with that too. I've definitely thought about it, and it always comes up whenever I teach. A lot of questions about that, like pricing, proposals, and that stuff just takes a long time to learn. Yeah, and especially with WordPress, I mean, the level of it, it goes so deep, right? I've been a core contributor to WordPress on at least one occasion, and there are still different like APIs and functions and just so many different things that you can do within that piece of software. It would be very interesting to, uh, I don't know, you could definitely teach a class for a very long time on WordPress itself. Yeah, totally. And WordPress is, you know, also kind of the Wild West in its own right. But, you know, people, there's such a huge range of like what a WordPress website can be. So you have... I've always used the analogy of, like, cars or even, like, weddings. You know, your WordPress website made from a theme is maybe, like, your 1994 Dodge Neon or, like, walking to City Hall to get married. And then you can have, like, a Tesla version of a website or, like, the rent-out-a-private-island wedding. So (laughs) when people are like, how much does a website cost? I'm like, well, let's talk about this. And so I kind of – a big thing I figured out during my time in New York was to – give people options. So I would say, okay, maybe you don't know what you need. A lot of times when you start talking to someone who needs a website, they don't need a website. They need a business plan. So it can really, (laughs) 
it can really vary. And I'll say, okay, okay, I'll be like, okay, well, let's do this like brainstorming session, and I'll write up some recommendations for you, and I'll give you a price for that. Maybe that's like five hundred dollars. And then if you want me to teach you how to make your website because you're going to change your mind too much for me to do it for you, then we could do some kind of tutoring package. And then that goes all the way up to like you know five figure site. Which is a super custom site, and all the focus is really on content structure and making it as maintainable as possible. Yeah, the business models around that. I mean, you can you can set up so many different ways to do that. What's amazing is that WordPress is versatile enough to support such a wide range of things. And I was recently listening to an interview with Matt Mullenweg, the the guy who founded WordPress and who runs Automatic Lounge in San Francisco with like. I think he's got like 500 employees and they're jointly responsible for 25% of the traffic on the internet or something. Yeah, it's pretty wild. That's definitely automatic as a company you can work for and like fulfill the living everywhere dream too. I think they have complete remote remote employees, but WordPress is like, it's such a cool project too. Just uh, how everything operates open source wise. I mean, like Tim's a contributor, anybody can be. And it's, and it's also interesting to see the division of like, who contributes to WordPress, so like Automatic, the company, is a large portion of it, just the general community members are, and then a lot of agencies will have employees that work full-time on WordPress core as contributors, and it's like all free. Such a cool thing and great community. Very varied community, too. And it's something you can feel good about participating in. I've worked in startups, and you know, folk, folks have kind of dissed the trashy PHP backend code and all of the, like, said a lot of negative things about the way that the code is structured in WordPress, but the fact that it is such a big open source project and it has had such a massive effect on, on the internet. I mean, what you've done essentially is by specializing this, you've created a niche for yourself that is really very broad. Yeah. And the biggest thing is like how users take to it. So with the kind of sites I do, um, I use Advanced Custom Fields, which is a plugin that allows you to easily add custom fields to the WordPress backend. And you can create these like super modular content blocks. So whenever I do a site for a client, we map out everything like ahead of time. Then the next step is to, like build out the database structure. Then they add content immediately and see if the backend is comfortable. So, for example, I did a site for a graphic design company, and they wanted, they sell stationery, and there were, like, different collections. So we have the collections model, essentially, and then, like, the collections have pieces, and then each piece has, like, dimensions and colors and things like that. But all of that can be editable in the back end of WordPress. Yeah, it does, it does scale strangely at a certain point, but that kind of power with such accessible technology is really cool, and being able to customize it that way. And then, of course, you have premium, some of these premium themes that are just like a disaster with page builders and whatnot. But that's a whole other, whole other can of worms. <laughs> well, I'm sure that there are a lot of people out here who are going to want to find out how they can get in touch with you and maybe learn some more about how they can up their WordPress chops. How do people find you online? Sure. So on Twitter, I'm at LaraS126. So it's important to know L-A-R-A. And my website is not laura.com so not l-a-u-r-a <laughs> i'm guessing that's something that comes up a lot for you that does come up a lot and my email address is laura l-a-r-a at not laura.com and whenever i get emails from people that have like definitely typed that into their you know to field and they're still like hey laura blah blah, blah. and i'm like i don't know if i even want to write back to you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think when we first met, that was how I learned your name, was just, just don't call me Laura. And it's like, all right, and it's stuck ever since, at least I hope. Yeah, 
That is strong branding. Most important part is spelling it correctly. So, but yeah, not not Laura.com. I have a kind of description of my, like my philosophy and kind of stuff I do up there and on Twitter, I suppose. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Lara, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to talk to you guys. So one of the things that Lara mentioned that really touched me in a, in a soft place in my heart was the issue about taking too long to respond to emails and not respecting the true asynchronous nature of email. Yeah, I actually, so I started working as a freelancer and then kind of moved into working at individual companies and businesses. And I noticed there is a little bit of stress that comes with responding and replying to emails. Like I've noticed myself taking too much time worrying about how the wording should be or if someone is going to view this sentence negatively, if there's not an exclamation point at the end, that can really be a stressful thing that you wouldn't guess. I think maybe Twitter has trained us badly, and since since you have to be so careful about every character in a tweet that you end up becoming that way with absolutely everything that you write, including emails, you should be able to dash off in a few minutes or a few seconds. I'd like to see a little bit more brevity emphasized in communication between emails. Like, you know, you don't need to write a story and end with ensuring that its reader has a positive day. Like, that's not that's not on you. Just communicate the message and, you know, go on with your day, or at least that's what I try to tell myself. <laughs> That's what I try to tell myself too. But like Laura, I have had the issue of feeling burned out. And I think a lot of it also for me comes from the stress of the responsibility that I take on when I try to to manage communications. Sometimes it just feels to me like I take too much of it on myself and feel as if I'm projecting all of these little nuances that can't possibly be conveyed in ASCII characters. Yeah. And can I just say, I was amazed. I mean, I'm not exaggerating here. Amazed at Lara's bravery. I mean, I can't imagine taking a five-month break from just anything. I would be way, way too stressed to do that. But she managed to kind of plan, I mean, a little bit, right? Plan this out so that she could have that five-month break and do some amazing things. I like decide on a whim not to just bartend in a ski resort in Utah for a couple of months, just because that's something that sounds cool and that she's obviously good at. But again, like thinking about, you know, pretty much any sort of habit that I have in my life right now, taking a five month break from that sounds just terrifying. I think I would be way too paralyzed with fear to uh, take a break like that from work. And yet it sounds so invigorating and it's like a, an honestly healthy thing to do. Well, don't knock it until you've tried it. I mean, yes. I have retired at least twice in my career. <laughs> I follow the, the adage, you know, retire early, retire often. The first time, it was a very scary and unusual feeling. Uh, just, I had been working full time. I think I was at Apple Computer for a bunch of years, then I was at Salon.com for, for a while. And then I just retired and I walked away from everything and did not set myself up with any plan about returning to the type of work that I'd been doing. And in fact, when I came back to work, I was doing completely different things. It was revolutionary for my brain. It, it really allowed me to, to change my focus and think about things in ways that I wouldn't have expected. It was a very scary thing because I'd come straight out of college, straight into work. In fact, I'd started working before I graduated at the same company that I worked at. For you know, This was Apple for years. And then to suddenly be without daily responsibilities, without anybody expecting me to wake up early in the morning and write something or respond to something, it, it was it was a, just a major life change. 
I think for now I will just have to stand back from afar and watch and admire. It's too scary a thought for me, to be honest. But um, I don't know. I recommend it. I, and I recommend thinking about your life in terms of those retirements and planning on taking more than one. It sounds like we're going to have to title this episode, Tim Has an Existential Crisis. Isn't that the title of every episode that we've done? <laughs> it may as well be. Very uh, very interesting. No, but I think, uh, honestly, Laura's journey has been very interesting, and that's why I asked her to come on the show. I would love to see a, a conference talk or maybe even a book on, you know, those five months, because I think, you know, something understated on this show and I think everywhere else is the value of taking time off. It is not something that we praise. It is not something that we talk about enough in this career or really anywhere in the professional world, but it is so helpful. It is so important. I'll refer you back to the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism and the whole notion that we have to be working ourselves essentially to death in order to maintain our standing in our society. It, it's, it's something that I think comes from being Americans. And for the most of the world, it's not part of the ethos of their cultures. It is definitely something that is a defining characteristic of our culture. I do find myself every once in a while thinking that I let the stress of work kind of get to me a little bit too much. And to be honest, if we're going to talk about how to be a really good developer, part of that involves taking breaks and part of that involves learning how to reduce the amount of stress if, it's, if it is possible. One of the things that I've been doing is a mindfulness practice, and I have found that very helpful in terms of reinstating that sense of calm and connection to a larger source, to, to a, a place where I feel safe in the universe. When things seem chaotic in my, in my local environment, just being calm, being mindful, taking that 20-minute break every day, and it's you know, once a day, a little bit of meditation, it can really help center you. And the trick is not to do it as a bandage to cover up the stresses that you're putting on your life, but rather to do it as an opportunity to remind yourself that you don't need to do that to yourself. Yeah, definitely. I would say everybody needs something like that that they can continually come back to and, and ground themselves on. But that being said, let's segue just right into WordPress uh, to, to stress out our listeners as much as possible. <laughs> yes, I noticed you brought Lara on and I know you're a WordPress developer and I know she's a WordPress developer, so I figured that had something to do with it. It was refreshing to hear her talk about how often people can dis WordPress. It is an easy target, I think, but I have to say... I had front row seats to their release process, and the amount of forethought and planning that goes into every release cycle is unbelievable. I mean, there are security teams and different developers specialized across a number of disciplines that look into every single line of code for every release they have. It is impeccably well done, and there's actually, like, there's a release lead for Every single time they release, it coordinates all of these groups together to make sure that everything that gets into needs to. It's, it's an incredibly well thought out and detailed process. Considering how much of the internet runs on WordPress, it kind of has to be. Yeah, exactly. And they take that seriously. It is literally 25% of the internet. And there is not a soul on that team or who has contributed to that project who doesn't have that hang over their head whenever they're working on it. 
it blows my mind when I think about it. The scale of it is so massive. And I've, I've worked in Soma in San Francisco, and I've walked over to the automatic lounge. I've even been inside and chatted with folks in there. It's very sparsely populated. There isn't a large group of people there, usually because a lot of people at that company work remotely. And it's amazing how they coordinate and get so much done. Yeah, it is really an incredible thing. And if you if you have a chance to get into the WordPress community and contribute, I would say definitely take it. I learned so much. And even if maybe only one or two lines of my original project made it into WordPress core, it was 100% worth it. And I would say, again, if before you judge any sort of open source software, think about what goes through the head of people contributing to it, especially when it's something that is used by so many people. It might be an easy target, but you're more than likely or almost always not giving it enough credit. Finding those easy targets, though, the things that people are dissing so easily, sometimes can be a great career choice. I remember myself, when I got myself back out of my retirement and started working my way up to being an engineer, I targeted CSS because everybody hated CSS and nobody wanted to deal with it. And these were back in the IE6 days. And oh, man. So it was it was a challenge. But because I dove in and because I loved it and I was able to take it on, people were just flocking to me to find my, my CSS skills because nobody else wanted to deal with any of that. And I think Lara has done much the same thing. She's built a career for herself around something that is incredibly popular and incredibly unpopular at the same time. Yeah, and you can tell that she's very passionate about teaching specifically. The analogy of media queries being compared to a human growing up from infancy to adulthood was just genius. I felt like I was rediscovering CSS media queries as I was hearing that. I was like, oh my goodness, I can connect these pieces in such a different way. Yep. It was mobile first development and presented in a way that just makes it material, makes it solid for you. Yeah. And I mean, it's something that everyone can, you know, have a frame of reference for. I mean, everyone has a human body. And if you imagine, if you're able to connect that to how HTML, CSS, and JavaScript relate to each other, there's not a person in the room who's not going to be able to grasp that or walk away at the end of that lesson thinking, I understand this a little bit better now. You can tell that she's somebody who really loves to teach, and I hope that she will teach some of those business practices that she was talking about, because as she said, people come to her for WordPress sites, but what they really need are business plans. Yeah, that's also something that I wish I had heard earlier on in my career. There are plenty of times, and, and not just freelancing, in companies too, where you'll get a specification for a new product or a new application, and it, it comes to you in such a way that it is basically just a set of sort of shadows, right? It, it's a set of poorly defined concepts, and yet you're expected to build an application out of it. And we all know how that process turns out. It turns into a lot of reworking things that you've already done, and, and frustration, and rebuilds and bugs and you know it turns into this whole sort of soupy mess and it is so much more helpful to turn around if you can and say what you're asking for is a new thing but what you need is to clearly define the concept that you're presenting i think there's also an agile solution to that that allows things to be a little bit more murky and still move forward but it's true a lot of companies do find themselves in a situation where they're asking for one thing but what they really need is another thing and it can be completely clear to the engineers and completely unclear to the people who are doing the asking so i'm i'm curious because that's actually something that i'm dealing with right now in my current company what is the agile solution to that quit ah <laughs> well, no, 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 no. End the episode right there. 
<laughs> no. The, the Agile solution is to allow people to define specific requirements that go from the top of the product to the bottom of the product and create a slice that can be completed within a specific scope of time and then see where you are and move forward from there. But define very clearly one small incremental step that you can take to move from where you are to what the next increment of the product is going to be. Don't think about the the wild blue yonder where the product's going to be six months down the road and tell the engineers, okay, I'll come back in six months and see if it's ready yet. You have to work step by step with people and make sure that what you're doing every step along the way is moving you in a direction that makes sense from a business perspective and also from an engineering perspective. That is brilliant. And you know, the more companies that I work at every couple of years, the more I realize that every single company just needs a full-time Agile coach. 100%. Work would be so much easier. You know, everybody can be out there advocating for these techniques and advocating for these approaches. It's not that difficult. and You don't have to have a certification. You don't have to have advanced training. The principles are very simple, and I've never met an engineer who hasn't been able to grasp them and apply them pretty quickly and easily once they're, once they're explained. That's true. It's working out the same way for me. The more I witness the errors that Agile fixes, the more I understand Agile, and then the more I can yell at my superiors about implementing Agile. Well, and of course, that's just the engineering side of things. As, as Laura said, so many people are coming to their engineers or essentially to the people they're trying to hire to build their WordPress sites, not knowing what they need and actually needing a business plan rather than needing the product that they think that they need. So the other thing that I found interesting was how Lara's view of productivity shifted after she took her break. I often find myself right before I feel burnt out thinking that I'm very productive. And then all of a sudden I, I step back and realize that I might be productive, but I'm also overworked. How would you balance those two things? I mean, like, what are, have you felt that before? And if so, like, what are your strategies for dealing with that? Well, personally, I, I mean, what I have tried to do is incorporate practices into my own life, like meditation and like you know, mindfulness that allow me to be more aware of what I'm doing to myself along the way and trying to set reasonable expectations for myself. But there do come times when you've built up so much that's going on around you that retirement really is an appropriate approach. And I, I applaud her for, for making the choice to retire and step out of things and give herself some, some perspective on what's going on in her life and in her work. You know, I think I just thought of the title for this episode, which should be Micro Retirement with Laura Shank. It's <laughs> a good one, I right? I think she'd like that. I think this concept of micro-retirement is a very interesting idea and probably deserves its own TED Talk, if you think about it. It's a really interesting and helpful way to kind of realign yourself with your relationship with work, especially in our culture. It's very integrated, too, with the gig economy, which is, I think, what we're all essentially moving toward right now, where you're not working full-time for one employer, but essentially juggling a whole bunch of different employers and keeping yourself up to speed with the marketplace. The only way you can do that is if you build in the time to stay up to date with what the market actually needs. And that involves stepping away from actual work for a while and allowing yourself to absorb. Yes, to absorb and observe. That's, those are two words that are difficult to say one after the other. 
Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We always enjoy getting to talk technology with all of you. We'd also like to thank SitePoint.com and our producers, Adam Roberts and Ophelia Lachat, with production help from Ralph Mason. Please feel free to send us your comments on Twitter at Versioning Show and give us a rating on iTunes and let us know how we're doing. We'll see you next time, and we hope you enjoyed this version. Thank you.